All right, I have a uh, message that I need to deliver to you this morning, and it's a message that has been milling in my heart for the better part of three or four weeks. Struck me one day while sitting down at Flagler Beach in Florida while tearing up my Bible, and God began to speak to my heart about something. It's from Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. I have gone through several titles about what I wanted to title this message. One time I just thought I'd call it The Eye. Well, that was kind of, you know, foreboding. I thought about what's your treasure, okay. Uh, and then I decided to call this message The Cure for Anxiety. The Cure for Anxiety. Are you ready? Matthew chapter 6. I won't keep you long. Uh, it's eight minutes till noon right now, and so I got about eight minutes to deliver. Eight minutes. Gee, many crickets. Starting with, ver <laughs> starting with verse one of chapter six, the book of Matthew. I, and before I read, I want you to, I believe that it's important for us to recognize that in its origin, the Bible was not separated into chapters and verses and subtitles, okay? That was not the origin of that. And I say that because sometimes without remembering it, it's easy to lose focus of the, what it, the overarching context of the passage is. And so let's go ahead and read now. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. <coughs> Excuse me. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Pause for just a moment. <coughs> Verse 14. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed. By men, 
when they are fasting, truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth, or as some translations will say, mammon. Verse 25, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. and They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all those things For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And finally, verse 34, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. As I said in opening that up, I will... It was important to kind of keep in mind that the original manuscripts of the Scripture were not separated into verse, chapter, verse, and subtitle. They were just a long letter that was done by scribes uh, when the church was in the process of being canonized. And so you have to look for some continuity in, in the passage that sometimes chapters and verse and subtitles can disguise or hide or make it difficult to find the overarching context of a passage. I mean, for example, in verses 21 through 24, all of a sudden it started talking about the eye. And you know what? I I chose to read that several times because those four verses did not necessarily flow with the context of everything else that it was almost like this moment where the Lord said, oh, and by the way, you know, And we all know, of course, the Lord doesn't have random moments. So it fit in in some way, shape, or manner. I mean, this if you look at this based on various subjects, and there's multiple subjects that are noted in this passage of Scripture, you you go from giving to the poor to praying, from forgiving to your treasure, from the eye to two masters, and from birds and barns to kingdoms 
and righteousness. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there, and yet there is one central theme. There is one thing that the Lord is trying to speak to us in all of it. Sometimes it's almost too hard to get your, at least me, to get my brain wrapped around so many thoughts when it's down to reading a passage of Scripture and go, well, what, what, what's, what's the over, uh, overriding message there, Lord? I mean, I, a person could preach, you know, uh, 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 about practicing your Christianity. A person could uh, preach about giving to the poor. A person could preach about praying. A person could preach about forgiveness. A person could preach about fasting. A, a person could preach about storing up your treasures. I mean, there's, there's multiple messages there, and yet there's one message there. That's the interesting thing. Starting at verse 1 all the way through, if you picked it up, the context seemed to be about what you were focusing on, what your heart was on. For example, is it 12 o'clock? All right. Uh, for those of you who may be visiting today, we pray every day at 12 o'clock this. Father, we curse sickness. We curse pandemic. We curse COVID. We curse every mutation of that disease in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, we also curse every demonic activity that is trying to disrupt the Republic of America and turn us into a socialistic country, Lord. We, we curse that demonic, diabolic, demonic activity in Jesus' name. And Lord, we also pray for every individual who's lost loved ones to coronavirus, who have gone through it themselves and been affected in some way, shape, or manner, and we lift them up before you. And everybody said amen. All right, in, in looking at this, Matthew 6, 1, take care not to practice your righteousness in the sight of people to be noticed by men. Otherwise, you have no reward uh, with your Father who is in heaven. In other words, be careful about practicing your Christianity just so others can see it. All right? Be careful about that because the only reward that you'll ever get is because someone noticed that you were acting like a Christian. And in this setting, practicing your Christianity was the focus, not, or excuse me, being, uh, practicing your Christianity was not the main focus. Having someone else notice you practicing your Christianity was the focus in that setting, okay? All right, let's go on to verse two real quick. Uh, when you give to the poor, don't sound the trumpet and do all these things so other people will notice you. In this case, giving to the poor out of love wasn't the person's heart or the person's motivation or the, purpose, the person's focus. What was the person's focus was so that someone else can see what a great giver that I am, okay? Then you get to Matthew chapter 5. When you pray, so this whole one where people were standing on the street corners to pray uh, in order to be noticed by men, you know, they weren't praying to the Father with a priority or a heart of prayer and love to the Father. They weren't praying so much for someone who was in need of a touch by the Father. They were praying so that they could be noticed by others. That was their focus. That was their treasure. That was their heartbeat in that setting. So here you have it, practicing your Christianity, uh, uh, giving to the poor, and praying in all of those settings, although they are kind of standalone preaching topics there's a central theme going on here, and that's what is the person's focus who is doing those things. All right? Is everybody with me so far? Yeah. 
Okay. Then uh, we get over to verses 9 through 15, and you have the Lord's Prayer, praise God. And although it is powerful, it's one of the most beautiful uh, segment of, of words and verses that's ever been put together throughout the Bible. And Jesus gives an expanded exhortation about forgiveness there. And yet it is still right in the, mi- the midst of this prayer theme about being noticed by other people to pray these great eloquent prayers so that you look really clever at how smart you are in praying all the supernatural, spiritual, religious words. Are you with me? Okay. Then you get to uh, verses, uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 16, and uh, it, it moves into fasting. And I'm like, what? So again, yeah, we could preach about fasting, but that's not a standalone subject right there because he said, you know, that when you fast, don't do it so that others can notice that you're fasting. Are you catching a central theme? Doing religious activities just so others will note that you're doing it. And so your focus and your treasure and your heart is about what others think of you and the accolade that you can get from others versus the actual important spiritual acts themselves. Are you following me so far? And so, yeah, you can read this and study it in the context together, and what you will notice very clearly, just based on what I've just shown you, is that for, in every case, the, the question in tow was a person's heart. Why were, what was their motive? Why were they doing the things that they were doing? And so, again, uh, there you have it, beautiful passages of scripture that are good standalone. I can preach on fasting. I can preach on this and use that passage, but that's not the underlying context and theme of chapter six. Then we get into this other part. We've all read it and heard it, and the Lord begins to bring home what this is really all about because he says in verses 19 and 21, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, when we hear the word treasures, we think about wealth and materialism and monetary gain and et cetera, but in the context of this scripture, the treasures that the people had was about being noticed by other people, and that was their treasure. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we've heard that passage of Scripture innumerable times in our Christianity, and it's almost always in the context of giving. It's always in the context of what you have materially or monetarily. Is everybody with me? But this right here brings home the theme of the entire chapter. Don't, don't practice your Christianity in front of others just to be noticed because that's the only reward you'll get is being noticed. You get no reward from heaven. Don't practice your praying and your giving and your fasting in the front of others just to hope to get the reward of them noticing you because if that's the case then that's the only reward you get and but if your reward is heavenly there's a difference okay just you follow me in terms of where a person's treasure might be a person wants to pray or preach or do whatever in cases I've, I've experienced where they just want to be noticed by others that tells you where their heart's at, tells you where their focus is at. And so, in moving through this, we suddenly get to these odd scriptures in verse 22 
and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What? I can't tell you the number of people that have asked me to explain that passage of Scripture to them. And it's because they're not reading it in context to the overarching message that Jesus is talking about. So obviously, I paused right here as well, and I thought, well, apparently from here, there's a speed bump in the road, and now the Lord wants us to focus on the eye. And so that's why at one time I thought about titling this message, The Eye. So being a little bit of a wordsmith, I decided to look up the word I, and, and, and Stacy, I'm sorry, I should have given you this before, but, and I'll go slower right here, it's the Greek word ophthalmos, A-P-T-H-A-L-M-O-S, ophthalmos. <laughs> Teamwork, right? <laughs> And so, uh, ophthalmology, you, you know, you can see where the Greek word comes to our American language, English language, but there's so, a bunch of synonyms for this word uh, that has been translated in the text, eye, because when we read it, we think of the eyeball. Right, right. Huh? Yeah. And for those of us that thought about the eyeball, we've been thinking, wait a minute, the eyeball <laughs> is the lamp of the body. What? It didn't make sense. And so if you think about and look in the thesaurus and you see some synonyms of this word eye, sight, vision, focus, mindset, taste, not taste like this, but what's your taste in life? Are you, you know, uh, are you, do you have champagne dreams on a beer budget? Is that what the old statement is? <laughs> Probably doesn't work good in the Christian sermon, but you know, you, you, <laughs> you get what I'm talking about. What's your taste? Uh, deep feelings. What do you have deep feelings about? Uh, point of view or what you think about, your contemplation. This word eye isn't about the eyeball. It's about uh, one's mindset, what one considers to be the most important thing in life. So let's paraphrase that passage, adding a couple of these um, synonyms in the text, Okay. Uh, paraphrase, one's focus is the lamp of the body. So that if your focus is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your focus is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Or let's try the word mindset. Your mindset is the lamp of the body. So then if your mindset is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your mindset is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now let's use the word point of view or the way you think. Your point of view or the way you think is the lamp of the body. So if your point, or point of view or way of thinking is clear, then your whole body is full of light. But if your point of view or way of thinking is bad, your whole body is bad. Now, again, focus, point of view, heart, treasure, the central reason behind motivation why a person does stuff. This Scripture actually fits perfectly in context to the overarching message here. And I can think we can all agree that eyeball is not the context. 
What the context is, if you're reading it all together now, you can, you, can, you can understand that the context is about a person's focus, a person's mindset, a person's way of thinking, a, a person's heart, a person's treasure is what's in tow here. So a couple of connecting verses here uh, is found in Matthew 20, because I, I kind of, you know, in the tear up your Bible thing, it's, it's study the word, and so I got to studying this word I and looking it up in other places, and it was really interesting in Matthew 20 when Jesus was giving a parable about the vineyard owner who hired uh, some, some guys to work, uh, and uh, they all they got a denarius, uh, which is a day's wages, and some were hired at this time, and some were hired at this time, and then finally there were some that came in at the last hour and still got the same amount as everybody else, and they were kind of upset about that. You remember that? And so in that passage, you know, in verse 16, it actually uh, says, uh, uh, verse 20, verse 16 says, Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is in my, uh, my own, or is your eye envious? Is your heart envious? Is your focus there or is your eye? Well, I went, wow, that's pretty cool. So I decided to take it a step for, further, and then over in, in, in Deuteronomy, you can see that it's in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 through 11. It's talking about the poor. Just real quick, it, it says, if there's a poor man with you, one of your brothers in, in any of your towns in your land, which the Lord your God has given you, shall not harden your heart. Everybody say heart. heart. Nor close your hand. Say hand. From your brother, but you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend sufficient for his need and whatever he lacks. Beware that there is no base thought in your heart and your eye is hostile toward the poor. So that word eye, I wanted to fit all that together. First one was about an eye that's envious. Uh, Has anybody ever done something and somebody else got the credit for what you did? You know, I remember a, a number of years looking at the time. I remember a number of years ago in Holland, Michigan, uh, and I was a, a. You know, from last week that I was a a a, a prodigal son, a chronic prodigal son, but this was during a time when I had come back to the Lord, but I still was working things out. And there was a concert that was being put on in Holland at the Civic Center. I think it was for a a young boy that was sick and we were raising funds for that. I put the entire concert together. I formulated all the teams that were gonna come and sing, everybody that was gonna speak. I totally worked everything from behind the scenes and was off platform for the entire time. Uh, and, And another person who had, the only involvement that he had in the whole thing, he sang a song, he got all the credit for everything that took place there. Now. Was my eye envious? I recognized right away that the Lord was trying to teach me something. Let someone else have the credit for what you've done. Don't try to take the credit of your own. My eye could have been envious there, and my eye would have been bad. My focus, my heart. Are you all following me? Or, or about, uh, you know, we shouldn't, in this case, in, in Deuteronomy, the poor. Don't let your eye be evil toward the poor. Right, and when we shouldn't look at the poor with resentment, as to why don't you just get a job, get off the street corner? I'm reading somebody's mail right now because we've seen plenty that are on the street corner with a sign saying "Look for work," and we say, "Well, get a job." You know. Now I know, I know, I know. 
that's for some of them, that's their profession. They take shifts on street corners with signs. I get that. Diane and I had an experience at a Barnes and Noble in St. Augustine that I don't know about you, but I will forever probably be sad that we weren't able to, yeah. And so I think when we pulled in, there was somebody in, in the middle of the street saying, you know, with the sign. And, but when we went into uh, Barnes and Noble, there was this, this man uh, completely, looked completely homeless and he was sitting by the door on the sidewalk. And, uh, huh? An old man, yes. And, uh, and, and I, we said hello and so forth and so on. And he, said, I'm, and, he, and he said, I'm trying to get to wherever. He wanted a bus ticket somewhere. And at the moment, I will say that I probably had some skepticism about his motive. Are you with me? My eye was a little evil. We went on in the place, and I remember sitting there uh, looking at, I don't remember what, but out of the corner of my eye, I could see that guy sitting there, and I, sit, and I said in my heart, when Diane gets back, I want to go out there, and I want to give that guy a bunch of money. I just felt that in my heart. And uh, when we went out, he was gone. And we looked everywhere to try to find that guy. We had missed a heavenly opportunity to get even, and then I found out Diane was having even the same feelings. And so you can't just look at the beggar or the person who's poor and look at them with disdain or resentment as though they're just moochers because that's not always the case. And if you look at it always the case like that, then your eye is evil based on Deuteronomy. See how the eye fit into this, that it's not about the eyeball. All right, so the Lord brings it all home in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for he'll either hate the one or love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth or mammon. Once again, a person will see that word wealth and consider it to be about monetary gain, what you have, your stuff, etc., so forth and so on. This is teaching time. You all okay that I'm not preaching, but I'm teaching? So wealth is mentioned, but it's not necessarily about monetary or material gain comes from the Greek word. <laughs> M-A-M-M-O-N-A-S. Mammonas. Mammonas, or the spirit of mammon. Now, here, I'm just taking you all on my journey, all right? Is your interest, okay, okay. So is your interest out living your seat? Good, thank you very much, Sometimes you'll only keep people captive as long as their butts are into it. So there we go. So I looked up this word wealth in the Thayer's Greek Dictionary, and it defined it as, it didn't answer my question, it just defined it as avarice deified. I know, hang on for a second, because even I went, that ain't helping me none. What is avarice deified? Now, hang with me for a minute. So I looked up avarice. It is insatiable greed for riches, inordinate miserly desire to gain and hoard wealth. Spirit of mammon. And I went, wow, because then I looked up the word deified, and that's to make a God of or to rank worthy of worship. 
That's way deeper than just what I have. It's taking what I have in life and worshiping it, almost personifying it as the most important. I will not give to that beggar at the door because he doesn't deserve my stuff. All right, again, central theme going on through this whole thing. And what's an object of worship? An object of worship is the foundation of one's focus. An object of worship is the foundation of one's mindset. It's of one's heart. It's of one's treasure. And it's of one's eye. So there, that passage just fit beautifully into the overarching context. Now, the Lord brings it all home and brings it to a close with this particular exhortation. He's giving an exhortation in the Sermon on the Mount about focus, heart, mindset, treasure, and at one point he equated it to the eye. All right? You ready to bring it to, to a close? All right. So in Matthew chapter 6, let me go back over here. Nope, over here. There we go. The red one. We're going to bring it to a close. Now, I'm, I need to do this kind of in terms of how it happened to me that day sitting down on the beach. I think I was down there all day by myself. Diane went into town to get her hair done, and she was gone for a very long time. <laughs> and so I had a very long time by myself down at the beach, and I'm not a beach guy. I mean, I figure anybody who figures, let's go to the hottest place on earth with sand that burns the bottom of your feet to get into water that's too cold to swim in, that person's a nut as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I got a witness from my brother back there, right on. But that's where I was, and it was beautiful, and it was wonderful, and, and what? And God met me there, praise the Lord. So, verses 25 through 34, and I'll, and I'll bring this to an end. Excuse me for being a little bit attached to time. Verse 25, for this reason, oh, isn't that an interesting connection? He said all this up to this point, and then he goes, for this reason. I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothes? Diane, why are you worried about clothes? <laughs> I'm sorry, I just got out, I got out of the anointing boat right there. I shouldn't have done, shouldn't have, shouldn't have, shouldn't have, shouldn't have done that, but uh, I'll repent of it later or pay for it later, one of the two. <laughs> why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you little faith? So do not worry. Worry is a heart set. Worry is a mindset. Worry can become a God. It can become a treasure, and it can also become your I. Do not worry then saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear. For the Gentiles seek after these things for your heavenly Father knows what you need. And then look at here. But, in other words, now I'm going to give you the why, the why and the therefore. Seek 
first. Put your focus first. Put your heart first. Put your treasure first. Let your eye be first here on his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. And it was interesting to me that when I looked up the phrase, seek first, it came back to focus, vision, and contemplation. All the same context through the entire passage of Scripture. And if that wasn't enough, then it was at this point that I noticed the subtitle. And you know what the subtitle right there is? The Cure for Anxiety. And that's what really landed in my spirit. So many people are anxious and worried and troubled about so many things because that's where their focus is at. That's what their eye is upon. That's what they think about. That's what they contemplate on. And the Lord says, if you'll have your focus and your eye toward his righteousness that he has given you through Christ Jesus, which I've been preaching about, if you'll have your focus on his kingdom and what you have as a child of God in his kingdom None of the rest should matter at all because he's got it all and it should cure every anxiety that you have in life. Can somebody give me a witness in the name of Jesus? So I know this hasn't been one of those high-end, you know, Pentecostal, you don't sit in the front row because you'll get baptized by the spit of the preacher kind of preaching, uh, more of a teaching time, but I want to bring it home to think about this seek first Let your focus be on him. Seek first. Let your treasure be his kingdom principles and the righteousness that you have through Christ Jesus. Seek first. Let his kingdom and his righteousness be your guiding light in life and everything that you do. You know, you cannot even give to the poor without having the right focus or the right mindset. And it ultimately boils down to this. What do you love most? What do you love most? Uh, Diane uh, kind of attested to what I was saying. I am still regretting the moment that I missed that beggar. When I went back outside and he wasn't there. You know what? My focus, my mindset may have been off-center in the moment. But it sure helped me understand something as the Lord began to speak to my heart about these things. What do you love most? Yourself or others? What do you love most? Your stuff or others? What have you deified? What have you made an object of worship? That's what it's all about. Jesus, and I'm closing now, I promise I'm closing. I'm not going to have five closes. This is it. Jesus boiled down over 600 Jewish laws, and he boiled them down to two commandments. It's in Matthew 26, excuse me, 22, 36 through uh, through 40. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And And that's the first commandment. And the second is, like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
And on this hinges all the law and the prophets. Yet later on, the Lord boiled even those two down to one more where he said, now I have a new commandment. And it's not those other 600. And it's not even the two that I used in answer to the trick question that was asked me some time ago. But he says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. I don't know that we understand what that looks like. Because it can be different for every one of us. Chad, for example, I could take a journey looking through the Word to try to find all the ways that God loved me. Jesus loved me. He says that I'm supposed to love others the way He loved me. And I, and I can find ways in the Bible. Guess what? Because of your life and, and the things you've gone through in life, you could take that same journey through the Bible and find 10 or 20 different things about how God loved you. And so for each of us, it's not like a set of rules here by which we're supposed to love others. It's to love others as he has loved you. And that's the challenge I give to you today, to take that journey to discover, how did Jesus love me? What did he do? What did he change in my life? What did he rescue me from? Because that's how I'm supposed to love the beggar in front of Barnes and Noble. Amen. Are you hearing me this morning? If you can believe it and receive it, would you give the Lord a praise in the house? <clears throat> Matthew six twenty one for where your treasure is, where your eye is, where your focus is, there your heart will be also. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment, please? If there's anyone in this room that says, I've never accepted Christ into my heart. I've never made that choice. I mean a serious, solid, serious, solid, personal choice to become a Christian. And though you may not understand it fully, that's okay, but you say you want I think I'd like to start that journey today. I want to take the first step. If that's you, would you raise your hand just that I may pray for you today? Is there anyone at all that says, yep, that's me? Very well then. I never want to miss an opportunity to give people to accept Christ into their heart. Is there anyone that, here today that says, you know what, I, I am a Christian, I have accepted Christ, but I've walked away from it, and, I'm, and I want to come back. I want to make a recommitment of my life to the Lord. Is there anyone that was, would just by the raising of your hand say, yep, God bless you, dear. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes. Thank you, sir. You can put your hands down once you've lifted them up. Anybody else that says, would you please pray for me because I need to make a recommitment in my life, start this journey again. Father, I pray for these two in the name of Jesus, that you will bless them, that, you, that they will experience your love. And as they discover your heart, it will change their heart. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Give the Lord a praise in the house of God. <laughs>